Welcome to the Story Scribe Podcast, the place in which we talk about stories, whether they are in books, on screen, over a speaker, or around a table. I'm your host, Blake Oliver. Today's episode is all about the Witcher TV show and its world building and story building and so it's going to be very, very spoilery. If you have not watched it, go and watch it. I highly recommend it. I think that season two is better than season one, and I really loved season one. And in order to make sure that you're not around for spoilers, if you don't want to be, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take an ad break. And we're back. Uh, again, I'm going to talk about the first and second season of The Witcher on Netflix. I'm going to do my best to not talk about anything that's in the other uh, parts of the Witcher franchise. It's not even a single IP anymore, I feel like, because you've got the tabletop game, you've got the novels that are the original, you've got the uh, video games, obviously, that probably brought most of us into The Witcher world, and you've got the uh, graphic novels, which are very closely related to the video games, as is the, the tabletop role-playing game. Uh, but I'm going to try and focus my best on the TV show and talk about the book as little as possible, even though it's going to be very hard not to mention Blood of Elves, which is the main source material for the series. So very basically, I want to go ahead and get out of the way. The first season is mostly based off of the short stories collected in The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny. They are both fantastic. They are masterworks in how to tell a short story within a world that is ongoing. Um, they, they also have Season of Storms that is also out that is kind of a series of short stories with one kind of frame narrative going on loosely around it, but that uh, does not appear to be a part of the show. I don't know if they'll end up trying to tie it in later, even though it should already have happened. Um, the second season is, is still about the short stories, but it is also trying to focus in on the Blood of Elves which is the first novel that is within the main series. Uh, so there are five novels. There are supposed to be seven seasons, and there are two short story books. I imagine somewhere in there we're going to end up getting a good majority of uh, the Witcher source material in. Um, I can already tell that they've deviated in the second season from Blood of Elves a decent amount. Uh, so the, the first season, I would say, you never really see Ciri and Yennefer outside of Geralt's story within the books. Uh, so you only really get them when they come across his path. So it's very interesting to see so far that they, they've created a lot of storylines for Yennefer, and uh, they, they've really fleshed out what happened to Ciri before she met Geralt. Uh, even part of Geralt's line within the second season is like, I'm, I really don't know what happened to Ciri, that's my best Geralt, uh, before 
she she met me. I don't know what happened. Uh, she won't talk about it for reason trauma. Uh, but you've definitely got this fully fleshed out story for us, which ends up being confusing for some people. I, I really enjoyed that they played with the timeline. Uh, it, it definitely took me a little bit to, to get into it. Uh, and the second time I watched it, uh, it was even better because then I knew exactly what was going on and I could kind of trace all the threads that were going through that story uh, the, for the first season. The second season gets rid of that time jumping and even there's kind of this one meta line from this one character to uh, Yaskier uh, or Jaskier, however his name ends up being pronounced. Uh, his n real name is supposed to be Dandelion and that's still kind of bothering me. But again, I'm going to try not to talk about that part of the lore uh, as much as possible. But he more or less says like, oh, you have these songs that you've written. Uh, there was that one with all the timelines. It was really confusing. And that was offensive to him. But for the audience, that was a really good joke. I was very proud of the writers for working in that meta joke. Um, which, you know, if you've not read the series, I highly recommend it as well. Uh, Dandelion is the one who recorded all of the stories. Uh, that is uh, Jaskier's car carrier, ca character, sorry. So you have in The Witcher across both seasons uh, approximately four different storylines at a stretch. Really, uh, the the primary basis is the connection between Ciri and Geralt, and you also have Yennefer, who is a much more drawn-out character, and then you have, at a stretch, kind of a Dandelion storyline. Uh, easily, Dandelion storyline is kind of on the outskirts uh, within the, the novels themselves. His tale is kind of the frame tale. Uh, he is the one who wrote down all the stories, like I said. So he is, is a story of someone who believes in stories and sharing them and the arts and all of those sorts of things. And that's there. It's not necessarily a super drawn out and important story. Uh, you do, however, have Yennefer's story. And Yennefer, though she is very important, she usually does not get a lot of time in the books. So uh, within the stories of the Witcher TV show, you see that everything's drawn out. And her stories primarily have to do with power and, and what people are willing to do to trade for that power. Um, and that ends up tying well into season two. Um, the benefits of it all really, I think, pan out in season one the way that they've done it. Uh, she overall starts as powerless as possible. She has no magic. She is uh, a cripple, a hunchback. She's not very attractive, which means she has very little, you know, sexual power as well. Uh, she has very little political power because she's from a serf family, it appears anyway. She is from the middle of nowhere. She is has nothing that would draw you there, uh, and, except for she manages to teleport on accident once, and that draws the attention of the sorceresses of Eratusa. Uh, so you've got, at that point, the sorceress 
shows up and says, hey, how would you like to sell me your daughter? And the farmer actually sells Yennefer to her for less than the cost of ham. And that just goes to show how little value she has uh, to even her family, which you would say is supposed to care for you no matter what. Um, we also find out that maybe she is Elven, which is a part Elven, which is a newer development within the lore. That's not something that I, I believe uh, is anywhere else in the lore, but uh, it, it adds to her story and connects her to the the elves within this season. And they kind of get a lot more of a narrative uh, there's always this kind of backdrop of what's going on, the the wars and the racial tensions within The Witcher, and they really did a good job at using Yennefer to draw in, and especially in season two, the the racial tensions that are going on with the elves. Now, throughout season one, you see that she is more or less willing to trade everything for power, and that eventually she realizes. That it is not worth it. She's traded too much for too little. Uh, she she trades her ability to, to have a child. She trades her uh, relationship with Istrid, who is not blameless in that. But ultimately, she is willing to cut off anybody and everybody in order to get what she wants, which is... Uh, that she wants to be sexy, she wants to be magically powerful, and she wants to be politically powerful. And she gets it all. She gets everything she wanted, she says. And then she got real bored over the decades that she was at court. Um, and that's ultimately the reason why she eventually realizes she wants to have a kid. Uh, and she does everything in her power to have a child and I think that's where you see that that seeking of power is empty. And that seems to be where where they're going for or what they're going for with her storyline. Um, even there's that really cutting line from Istrid when she meets up with him later. And she's like, maybe we should have a go at it again. You know, maybe just you and me uh, somewhere where it's not Nilfgaard. And he's like, nah, I really can't do that because you hurt me really bad. Sorry, you chose power. And he said, sorry, you chose power is an almost direct line. Uh, everything else is obviously me just paraphrasing. Um, but you have her ultimately prove that her power is needed in order to, to save the North. She, as a part elven person, uh, absorbs the fire magic, which is apparently forbidden, again, only in the uh lore as far as i'm aware of the tv show fire magic is forbidden but she absorbs the fire from the nearby uh castle and then disperses it against all of the nilf guardians and ultimately we find out that she loses her magic from having tampered with fire magic uh but it proves that she is a very very powerful sorceress and that they saved her for the very end for a reason now the bad thing about that is I, I think that they just didn't really know what to do with Yennefer and they knew that they wanted her, they needed a way to get 
the elves and the Nilf guardians in. They wanted Francesca and Fringilla to be there, and they wanted to draw in their stories of how the elves start fighting for Nilfgaard. And that all ends up being tied up with this one character called Boleth Mir, who's like Baba Yaga. And that's a really cool part of the story. But unfortunately, and it's very cool for the Fringilla Francesca kind of subplot, uh, where you get to find out how that all happens. But they kind of take away all of Yennefer's magic uh in order to make her powerless so that boleth mir will make a deal with her and it feels very contrived because there's nowhere else that yennefer loses her magic uh and there doesn't seem to be a reason or a, a, any example of that happening before other than now uh the one time you see it used before at all people end up just dying because they make themselves into fireballs to fight the north um i would not want to be a Nilfgaardian mage but you end up seeing that she is still a very capable person even without her magical powers and you end up seeing uh all the things that people are still willing to trade for power frangilla is willing to do an awful awful lot in order to become essentially the governor of um, Sintra and to keep that alliance with the elves that she's forged and frangilla is willing to do anything to have the power to protect her people and especially her child uh, that she is pregnant with at the beginning of the the second season and ultimately we find that that power when that child is taken away that power is used for some pretty significant evils uh it, for the sake of revenge but yennefer goes around trying not to die because she is magicless and no longer politically powerful um and really that's the the biggest shame is I think it was IGN who said like it feels like a B plot in an anime and I have to say I think they're right because you could have had so much of what happened to her still happen with her her still having magic she could have been left in the dimerinium shackles which are the shackles that kept uh, her from being able to use her magic at the beginning apparently they didn't know that she didn't have magic anymore um they they could have kept her in those for a really long time she could have shown up at the lodge of sorceresses um and you know still not been trusted she still might have had to have tried to execute kahir she could have then teleported away with him to maybe where she thought it would be the safest maybe she thought uh going to novigrad would be safer and then she still could have run into i'm just gonna call him dandelion i'm not gonna try it anymore uh she still could have run in dandelion had some of my favorite dialogue in the whole series uh the whole season and then she could have still because of the events that ended up happening there taken off and tried to um get to they call it melatelis in the series but i i think it's like called melatelis in the the video game series uh, however you want to say it get to that temple where ultimately she still could have met siri she still could have taken her under her wing and been kind of a motherly figure as opposed to the whole like she has to sacrifice siri to 
the Baba Yaga figure, uh, Voleth Mir, in order to get her magic back. Like, I don't see that that was a necessary storyline, part of her storyline. I think that if you still wanted her to find that mother-daughter relationship with Siri, that still could have been there. And I think now it's going to be really awkward. Like, oh, you wanted to sacrifice me to Voleth Mir. Sure, you know, mom, who's not my mom. <laughs> but that that is ultimately where her story at the end ends up coming back to Geralt's story. Before we get into Geralt's story, though, we have to talk about Ciri's story. And Ciri's story, especially in connection to Geralt's story, is a story of destiny. As we find out in Season 2, Ciri's destiny has already been foretold. She is supposed to be the, the seed or the fire that burns down the world and recreates it uh, because of her elven bloodline. Uh, all the way back. And they don't quite get into the full explanation of what that means, but I'm sure that will come up further on in the story, just like it does in the books. Uh, what it does mean is that everything that ends up happening to her is, is kind of intended to isolate her. She, from the beginning, is supposed to lose everybody who she loves uh, in order to get to where she's supposed to get be going. Um, and that is where she gets separated from Kahir. That is where it's super hard to meet Geralt. She also was a child of surprise for Geralt. And arguably there's a couple of points where they're like, you know, if if you mess with fate, then fate's going to burn down your kingdom, uh, Kalanthe. Uh, or Geralt, it's going to mess uh, everything up if you don't just take this child surprise when it's born. Um, but ultimately Siri does end up getting to Geralt where she's supposed to be, but season two is all about how complicated that is. We find out that her abilities, uh, are a little bit different in the, the series than elsewhere, but she is able to usually have some kind of way to travel between realms, uh, other spheres in this case. And she does open up portals, even on accident, when she screams. And that there are monsters that seem to uh, recognize that in her, recognize something in her that draws them to her and empowers them. Um, that does end up bringing out one of my least favorite stories from this season, which is probably my only really big note, which is that they killed Eskel. And Eskel is a character from the books, and he is a character from the video games, and I don't think he ever dies in the books, but I know he's alive in the video games, which are supposed to take place after, and he is still alive. And I think it was an interview uh, recently that uh, the, the lead writer, showrunner, was talking about, like, well, we wanted to make sure... That we didn't just introduce a new Witcher and then like kill off the new Witcher. We didn't want to like introduce like here's Jack the Wit Witcher and then everyone be like, well, that Witcher is going to be expendable and die in this leshy storyline. So we didn't want to be predictable like that. So we went ahead and killed Eskel. And I was like, so this is again, when you're talking about adaptations, 
you have to take certain things with a grain of salt, but there are certain things where there's not really a reason to kill a character that is very well acted, uh, very well written in every other adaptation of him. Uh, but they, it would be like bringing in the Harry Potter books to the movies and then saying, well, we knew we wanted to kill one of Harry's friends, but we didn't want to, uh, to kill just like we introduced Jack, the, the wizard the first year and everyone be like, well, Jack's going to die because we're going to start that in the storyline. Like he's contrived. So we're just going to kill Ron like that. That's kind of what they did. And I don't like it Um, because Eskel is usually Eskel and Lambert were kind of almost surrogate uncles as well to Siri. And that, that was a really good relationship. Uh, Lambert really could have been there. Cohen still could have been there. And it looks like they're going to use him to take his place, uh, to take the place of Eskel, who is now dead. But they they played, they even played up that Eskel was important to Geralt in the episode after he was dead. Uh, but all of that to get around to saying there is this kind of tempest around Ciri in Destiny, that she is that moving point uh, where where something is going to happen. And we find out at the very end that Nilfgaard's Emperor Emir is actually Ciri's father. I'm hoping that they dive more into that in season three. Um, in the books, I'm like I said, I'm still in the fourth uh, of the series. There's only the fifth one after this one. I think he's still working on more though, but like Emir being her father still hasn't been revealed yet in the books. So it's pretty interesting that they've gone on and introduced uh, Amir. Now, I think especially with a visual medium, that's a really good choice because any time that you showed Amir as Dooney, uh, which is the name he was going on when he was her father, uh, when she was a baby, like anytime you showed him there and then if you ever showed Amir, then the audience is not dumb. They would have picked up on the, the fact that those are the same guy, probably. Uh, so it, it was a good call for that one. That was a really good adaptation. Um, finally, we get to Geralt's story, and Geralt's story is obviously deeply a part of Ciri's story and is connected to Yennefer's story, and Geralt's story in season one seems to be trying to fight that destiny with Siri and uh, trying to find connection uh, with her over the course of the second season. But overall, his arc is about monsters and monstrosity. He is a witcher, and the job of a witcher is to go out and slay monsters. And monsters, uh, in, in this case... Are, are very hard to kill. It's not something that regular people are known to do. So in order to defeat these monsters, sorcerers and kings created these witchers, these monster hunters. And these monster hunters have now gone on and their order is pretty much destroyed, as you see in Nightmare of the Wolf, uh, which is the anime prequel when Vesemir is a young man. Um, but you see that the, the witchers have kind of gone on, uh, and that they 
are trying not to be monsters, even as they are treated like monsters, uh, and that they are trying to make the right decisions, especially Geralt is trying to make the right decisions as he goes about slaying monsters. Now, we see that he does keep up that monster slaying attitude and uh, that he, he is the ultimate badass, of course, but especially played by Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill does such a good job. I was worried when they first said that they were casting him, but I honestly think this might be the best thing he's ever done, and I could not imagine a better Geralt uh, for this series. I'm very thankful that even though apparently he hurt himself during this season because he does all his own stunts and sword fighting, uh, that he seems to be in good form and is going to keep on uh, playing Geralt because he does such a good job. Um, I'm hoping we get the other five seasons out of him, and that's something that, because he apparently is also a big fan of the books uh, and, and video games and everything that he is excited for too. So it's still very exciting that he is playing this, character uh who is trying to see past the monstrous uh you can tell that monstrosity especially in season two is not only skin deep um Nivellen is in that first episode and i think that that first episode is probably one of the best episodes of the entire witcher series so far and not just the the second season because you've got this man who looks kind of boorish looks kind of um he he just looks monstrous he he's supposed to be evoking kind of like the beauty and the beast uh because that's kind of the storyline that's being played with in the short story and in uh the case of this episode and you've got up until a certain point Geralt and Nivellen are cool they they are friends Nivellen has this uh, lonely manner out in the middle of nowhere, no one to be found. He snaps his fingers and food appears. He waves his hand and there's a warm bath for Siri. Uh, he can summon magical daggers that always hit and always miss for Geralt uh, when they play darts with the daggers. Uh, and up until that point, Geralt doesn't seem to be bothered. It's only once they find out that there's a vampire, a kind of vampire, uh, Bruxa, that they that he is upset. That that he knows that there is something within the Bruxa which cannot and will not change. That she has killed, is killing, and will kill again. And that is why he seeks to slay her, even though we see that there is some kind of humanity, kindness in her with Siri. But we ultimately also know from the very first scene when she kills some villagers or some travelers that she is not an innocent person. Um, we don't know necessarily how early, how much ahead of time that happens, but it has to be pretty recent. Uh, but... You see at that point when Nivellen's uh, girlfriend, Love, dies, then he turns back into a human man and reveals why he was transformed in the first place. And that's the point where even Ciri turns her back on him because the monstrosity had nothing to do with what was in 
uh, what was on his skin, but everything that was within his heart. And that is ultimately the crux of Geralt's story because he has been transformed into someone who is monstrous by the mutagens that he had to take as a boy. But now uh, he wants people to care about. He He's fallen for Yennefer and he kind of seems to wish that relationship into existence. And he has this daughter now uh, in Ciri. And over this time, he is learning how to care for someone when he has never had to care for someone like this. Uh, and he is learning how to make a good relationship with Yennefer, which who is also very dysfunctional, obviously. And I still don't know that you'd ever call it a good relationship. They're, they're just with each other. Uh, my canon romance within the video games is Triss. So there's that. Um, but the ultimate end of the story yennefer has to make the sacrifice literally a, a life sacrifice in order to, to tempt voleth mir out of siri who you know she has possessed and you see that only through the kindness and through self-sacrifice these ultimately good traits that people can reveal that they aren't really the monster and that they can find love and kind of this really messed up little family. Um, even including the Witchers, which now doesn't have Eskel. Again, bothered by the, the fact that she killed Eskel. Or the, the showrunner killed Eskel. That's, that's who really killed Eskel. It wasn't Geralt. It was the showrunner. Um, because you really could have... They introduced 20 other Witchers that they killed like 10 of them. Like... One of them could have been turned into a Leshy just as easily as Eskel. You could have even ended the season again with Eskel, Lambert, Cohen, Vesemir, and Geralt being the last Witcher's period. And I still think that would have been fine. Um, but again, I digress. But thank you for listening. That's all the time we have for today. Hopefully you are also interested in The Witcher. Uh, you can find me at CBOliver22 on Twitter. You uh, can find me at www.storyscribe.org. And if you really enjoyed this episode, it would help a lot if you left a like, a comment, if you subscribed. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're hearing this podcast would help a lot. Thank you so much. And hopefully you get out there and enjoy some good stories.